This is Beyond the Farm Gate, a show where we shine a light on great Australian stories in agriculture. On the show, you'll hear from farmers who've survived challenges like fire, flood and drought, farmers who run innovative and unique agribusinesses, and farmers who are balancing work and family in rural Australia. You'll be inspired hearing their stories and pick up some insights along the way. I'm your host, Annie Herbert. Alongside me, Matt Hour. Today we're chatting with Sarah Nallet, an Australian ag tech entrepreneur. Sarah is the founder of Agthentic, Tenacious Ventures and Farmers to Founders. You may notice Sarah sounds a little different to some of our other guests. Her connection to agriculture started at an early age in Silicon Valley, California. In this episode, you'll hear how Sarah broke into the Australian ag tech scene as a young American, how she uses storytelling to connect with farmers, and what exciting opportunities are on the horizon for both Sarah and our agricultural industry. Let's jump in. Well, firstly, thanks, Sarah, for making some time to come on the show. And and we're certainly very excited to have you on and hope you get something out of it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to the chat. I just wondered if we could start with a little bit of your background and your connection to agriculture and how that came about. So I'm, I'm from California originally, grew up in Silicon Valley, where there's not a lot of agriculture these days, the home of the tech companies and a lot of the entrepreneurship uh, world. But we did have a bit of a hobby farm growing up that dad bought when I was around 12. And so I spent time there as a kid. And I guess I always played sports, so cared about healthy food. And, you know, we spent a lot of time in the woods and backpacking. So environment was always on my mind. But I would say ag was was not uh, anything I thought I would work in and was probably something I was passionate about and might come back to later in life. But I didn't think I would have a career in agriculture. And it wasn't, you know, until later in, in life after studying technology that I actually came back to agriculture and found uh, how passionate I am about it and, and began working in the space. Yeah, nice. So you you studied over in the States? Yeah, so I did undergrad in computer science and human factors engineering out on the East Coast of the US and worked in the defense industry originally, uh, building large-scale military intelligence analysis systems for a while uh, and and ended up doing a master's in systems engineering and management at MIT and kind of along the way there. I guess this, yeah, the story of how I got into ag is I went a holiday uh, to South America and ended up turning that into a bit of an accidental gap year and and lived on farms for about a year. And that was how I fell into the agricultural rabbit hole and and haven't come out since. And what sort of farms in South America? Yeah, so all all different kinds. Like I said, I was there for about a year. I I lived for a while on a small-scale organic uh, vegetable farm. I harvested grapes on a large-scale vineyard, which is a tough job, as as many would know. I ran a goat dairy in Chile for a while, uh, and then I traveled around hitchhiking and and just traveling with truck drivers, largely hauling different commodities, so a very different view in agriculture, yeah, from a few different perspectives during that time. Wow, very diverse introduction to agriculture in different countries as well. Something that I was interested in is, well, obviously how you got out to Australia, but also the story around being a young American getting started in Australian agriculture. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So uh, we, my partner David and I moved to Australia about five years ago for his job, actually. I always want to say that I, you know, looked globally and saw Australian ag as the place to be and flew over here. Um, but I only realized it was the place to be after I got here and very much believe, believe that's true. So yeah, we moved for his job. I 
showed up here, didn't know anyone uh, in, in the country and was really interested in agriculture and so wanted to find my way into the ag tech world. And I guess wondered what was happening in terms of startups and digital agriculture and those new commercialization pathways for ag tech uh, and, and kind of seeing what was happening here in Australia, which it turns out there wasn't much at the time. And, and so that's what led me to start Agthentic and kind of go down the path I've gone down. But I guess like a specific example is when I had maybe been here a couple of weeks, I saw there was a digital agriculture conference put on by the Australian Farm Institute and I wanted to attend, but it was a, you know, pretty hefty price tag uh, for someone who didn't have a job at the time. And, you know, I just didn't know anyone. I didn't know if it was a conference worth going to at all. So, you know, even if I wanted to pay, I wasn't sure it would be worth it. I ended up emailing the conference organizers and saying, you know, look, I just moved here and, and I'm a grad student um, or was a grad student and really keen to come along to your conference. But could I write, you know, a blog post or a press release or, or something and, and come for free? And maybe that would add a bit of value to you and, and I could come along. I think they were pretty thrown off by that approach. <laughs> but fortunately, they said yes. Uh, and I came along and I remember I was sitting there during the first day of the conference, you know, listening to the the content and everything. And Richard Keith, now the director of the Farm Institute, came up and said, uh, you know, where where's that press release? Is it ready to go? Uh, and I, I had no idea that you were meant to write it on the day that the conference was happening. I thought I would sort of be, be able to go home and like write it the day after. Uh, and so I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's coming and kind of went out into the hallway and sitting on my laptop, typing away, writing up a press release, which, you know, did go out. You know, we, uh, we've become really good friends with the Farm Institute. We collaborate with them a lot. And I left that conference with with a couple clients, actually people I had met that I ended up working for and working with. So that was, that was kind of one of the early stories of how receptive really the ag community has been here uh, and and how um, much I've enjoyed working with the agricultural and, and now ag tech industry here in Australia. That's quite funny. I've had similar experiences coming from PR background, but from that first experience you had straight off the bat, were there any differences that you could see between international agriculture and that of Australian and our attitude towards agriculture? There are tons of differences just from like a what's produced and how the system works. I obviously started out kind of looking for where the corn and soy was grown here. And it turns out we don't grow that that much of that in <laughs> Australia. And, um, you know, people were talking a lot about sheep, which I didn't know anything about. So, you know, lots of differences like that. But I would say the big change that I've seen is in the attitude towards innovation and technology. When I you know, first arrived five years ago and, and was talking to people, it was something that was on the horizon, but no one was really seeing this world of startups and ag tech as a fundamental to the future and that it was really something that needed investment and attention and energy. And that's really changed. So that was true in the US and Australia was maybe a bit behind, but I, that's not true anymore. Australia is is right across what needs to be happening in in agriculture and ag tech innovation and starting to to really show up on the global map in terms of agricultural innovation. You know, there's still room for improvement here and everywhere, but I would say that's one of the big things that was different at that time uh, and is increasingly, you know, not as different nowadays. So Sarah, there's a theme going on here around the the importance of storytelling, I think, and and just hearing a couple of your stories earlier in the question. From a communication point of view in your day-to-day, you obviously run a couple of different businesses. What are the different audiences that you're speaking to on a day-to-day? Because I imagine it's quite varied. 
Yeah, definitely. Couldn't agree more with the importance of storytelling. That's really been, if I had to say, kind of a key to some of our successes. You know, we've got a podcast called Ag Tech So What? We run the Sydney Ag Tech Meetup. We've got a newsletter. You know, I speak at different events and conferences. And so we, we really try to tell stories and share the untold stories of non-traditional innovators, you know, farmers building tech companies, doing value adding, challenging the system, new entrepreneurs with really different perspectives or backgrounds coming into this space. And and think that's really important to tell and share those stories and and kind of raise awareness of, of what innovation looks like as different to agriculture. So, yeah, that, that's just absolutely critical to what we do. And, and that means we, we get to work with a range of different audiences. So I might find myself literally the same day talking to the CEO of a multi-million or billion dollar company, you know, talking to uh, a farmer, larger, small scale about what technology they're looking at, talking to a venture capital investor or a family office investor uh, and, and working with entrepreneurs or researchers on commercialization or, or go-to-market plans. So all in ag tech and, and kind of in the same world, but coming from very different perspectives uh, in into that world. And as a follow-up to that, I really like to get the an insight into the how your mind works or how our guest mind works. And from a communication point of view, is there anything that you do to sort of help yourself focus or prepare for these different audiences that you're speaking to? Yeah, I think you're you're always trying to find the right balance of credibility and authenticity. And and I know for me, it's been a challenge uh, not coming from an agricultural background or being able to say, you know, I've have this many generations on farm as as people like to do in in agriculture is building that credibility, but not diminishing the credibility that I have that comes from a very different perspective. And so one of the things that I've worked on and that I help my team and you know collaborators work on is having that intro statement or kind of framing that builds your own credibility but also finds common ground with whoever you're talking to and common ground with a farmer might look really different than common ground with a CEO. But that's, a, I, I think, a helpful way to think about it is you want one part, you know, common ground and, and shared experiences with whoever you're talking to and one part kind of building your own credibility in, in context of, you know, what what's going to resonate with them. Yeah, great. I think a lot of what you do takes a lot of trust. And as you say, it's finding that common ground. But How do you take a new idea or a new business from something that's unknown or not proven into something that is trusted or has that credibility? Yeah, it's, it's a massive challenge, both for the businesses that, that I've built and for the businesses we work with. You, you know, farmers and startups don't speak the same language. And as you're building something new and talking a lot about technology and all these jargon and acronyms of the startup world, you know, it, it might not be the same jargon and acronyms that the agricultural world uses. Examples I, I have often given is, you know, talking about AI, you know, one person might mean artificial intelligence and one might mean artificial insemination. And, and you're just really not <laughs> speaking the same language. And, and that's both challenging but also really an opportunity to share and, and learn and push people on different perspectives and, and different backgrounds. So building trust, I, I think, just comes at, at the human level and, and it has to come through time. It, what's been really interesting to see is in this COVID world, how do we do that on Zoom and how do we do that, you know, when we can't sit down over a coffee or over a beer and actually take that time to find that common ground and get to know each other. But at the same time, it's opened up new opportunities to connect with people, you know, more frequently or in different ways where I've met a lot of farmers in the past nine months that I probably wouldn't have met if I didn't go to a conference or go to, you know, where they live. And we've been able to do that over over video conference and start to build some of that trust. Uh, And in some ways, the tactics are the same. You know, you're asking questions and you're learning and you're finding that balance of kind of credibility and curiosity and authenticity. 
Yeah, and just picking up on that COVID theme, obviously it's been a really unusual time, but have you seen that farmers have almost taken this as an opportunity to explore new things or think a little bit differently about how their business operates or how they're going to market with their product? Yeah, massively. Uh, And it's been really exciting to see actually over the last couple of years, starting with the drought, you know, we had a lot of broadacre farmers who weren't as busy (laughs) during harvest as they might normally be. And so they were coming up with new ideas for how to do things differently. Of course, not just sitting on their hands waiting for it to get better. So building new apps or implements or thinking about value adding or different channels to consumers. So we, we run a program called Farmers to Founders. And in that program, we work with producers who have ideas for innovation again, across ag tech or or value adding. And we've just been overwhelmed by the number of applications, both through the drought and and since then during COVID of producers from all across Australia in all different industries, looking at at different ways of innovating. And so new channels to consumers, you know, value adding. So we've got lamb sausage rolls, we've got, um, you know, lentils and chickpeas as kind of packaged food for, you know, different ethnic uh, markets, you know, in Indian food or or things like that. We've got red lentil flour, you know, tapping into gluten-free and high protein trends. We've got implements uh, for cover cropping and, you know, value adding into cosmetics and people looking to go direct to consumer through, you know, meal kit companies or online and e-commerce. So just absolutely overwhelmed and so impressed and inspired by what producers are doing to build resilience into their businesses and and learn more about their consumers and, and what they want and be able to you know react or adapt to, to meet those needs. Can you tell us a bit more about the farmers to founders and in what role you play? Like what the what does the process look like when a farmer comes to you with a new idea? Yeah, so we are a cross-sectoral and national program. We're fortunate to have the support of a number of industry bodies and and the federal government incubator support program. And so when producers come to us, they kind of come at two stages. One is I have an idea and I have no idea if it's a good one or how to get started. And so we have a series of workshops and office hours where they can chat with a coach and kind of get feedback, as well as a 12-week program that helps producers with an idea go through a whole process to figure figure out, you know, do other people have this problem? Does anyone want this? How would I get started? How would I test if there's any demand for it? That might look like a website or a brochure. And then how would I actually start thinking about what the business model would look like? And they do all of that within 12 weeks. And then the other time they come to us is when they already have a bit of an off-farm business, maybe an app or an implement, uh, or again, value adding, and they want to take it to the next level. So maybe they're already selling in their local community, but they want to scale up across the state or nationally or internationally and export. And so we, during a 26-week program in that case, which is called our boot camp, help them learn all about different business models and growth marketing and investment and kind of help them accelerate that that growth over that 26-week period to, to hit their business goals. Is there a particular type of farmer that comes to you more than, say, a, a general farmer? Like, is there a particular type in terms of their size of business or their characteristics that you pick up on? Yeah, I would say when we talk about this program, most people get the idea of like, they're probably a small hobby farm and they're younger and they're on the coast and it's not like a real farmer, you know, quote unquote, and and they're just looking to do something niche. And I would say that that couldn't be further from the truth. So we get 
almost 50-50 gender balance. We have producers who are as young as 17 and as old as, you know, 60 plus easily. They're large-scale commodity farmers. They're mixed farmers. They're small-scale hobby farmers and everything in between. So there's really no one profile. It's really inspiring and amazing to see how many different kinds of producers are thinking about the same kinds of challenges. You know, we need diversified revenue streams. We need to get closer to our consumers. We need technology that's built by meeting farmers' needs. And we just haven't seen the market providing that. So we're going to do it ourselves. And that's really what Farmers to Founders is about. Yeah, great. And sounds like an amazing program and certainly very impressive that there are producers as young as 17 putting themselves on the line and coming to you with their idea. But From your perspective, how important is it to demonstrate skin in the game when it comes to these projects and when it comes to supporting the ag industry? Yeah, I mean, agriculture is full of full of skin in the game in, in all the ways, right? Anyone working in ag knows both how hard it is, but also how much the ag community gives back and participates on boards and on committees and in, in all different ways, just giving back to the community. So that's kind of one form of skin in the game. You know, it, how we think of these programs is a little bit how we think about, you know, startups and investment and advisory work is you want to build a team around you of people who are really committed to achieving the same outcome. And so whether that looks like having equity in the business or having financial commitments or a significant time commitment, those are all other forms of skin in the game, really just to make sure that incentives are aligned. To give a specific example, you know, in our Farmers to Founders program, the producers unlock or can unlock a grant to support their business. So in that first ideas program, it's up to 2,500. And in the boot camp program, it's up to 10,000. But in both cases, they need to make a co-contribution towards that grant amount as well. And we don't take any of that money, you know, they use it on their business, but we wouldn't feel comfortable giving them that that grant funding if they weren't also putting in money and, and showing that they really believe in the business and the activities they're spending it on as well. So that's one example of, of skin in the game. And, and there's lots of other different kinds, as I mentioned. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Australian ag tech a little bit further, Sarah. In terms of what exciting opportunities you see on the horizon for Australian ag tech. I wonder if you could share an example with us. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I I, I could could talk about this for hours and hours, so I, I won't bore you with too many examples, but I couldn't be more excited about Australian ag tech. The potential to leverage our strengths in agricultural research and the innovative farmers we have, as we've just been talking about, is, is truly unparalleled to be commercializing and building innovations uh, from Australia that have global potential. Um, we, we have a venture capital firm called Tenacious Ventures, and so we invest in ag tech companies, and I can tell you a little bit about maybe a couple of them. So one is is a company called Swarm Farm Robotics. They're based in Emerald in Queensland, and they have an autonomous agricultural uh, vehicle platform. So smaller scale autonomous uh, robots that can do a range of jobs from spraying to spreading to mowing and, and many other um, apps and implements that are getting built out on their platform that really unlock the power of precision agriculture and, and many of these tasks that just right now are too expensive or too inconvenient to actually get done. So spot spraying, for example, and you know, right now can be just sub-economic given the size of equipment and the timing and labor costs. Um, but if you've got a robot who can run 24 hours a day, you know, can go along and chip at a weed or a spot spray or zap it with a with a microwave if it needs to. And so Swarm Farms just really unlocking the potential of these new practices and these new technologies through their 
autonomous platform. Uh, and that's an example of, of homegrown Australian innovation developed by two farmers that is really leading globally. And, and we couldn't be more excited to, to be backing this warm farm team. That was my next question was Australian ag tech and how it's positioned globally. Like are some of our ideas, are they catching on overseas and also vice versa is is Australia picking up on international ag tech and implementing it? Yeah, that's one of the things about technology is it it sees no borders and boundaries. It's it's it gets much more fluid across you know geographies and across commodities than other types of of products. So that's definitely happening. We're seeing Australian companies you know raise money, expand globally, have an impact, and be well known overseas. We've had startups like Platform and Hivekeepers and Farmbot and AgriDigital and Florisat all recognized and, and ProAgni all recognized overseas in awards and competitions and been accepted to programs. We've seen companies like uh, AgWorld and uh, AgriWeb expand in, into overseas markets and, and have customers there. Um, and likewise, we've seen companies from overseas really paying attention to and expanding into Australian agriculture. So people might have seen a recent acquisition of a company uh, called FarmSave that was started in WA, acquired by a company called Farmers Business Network that was started in Silicon Valley and, and backed by Google Ventures. And they've acquired you know, this Aussie company to kind of have a presence in the market here and, and recognizing the value of, of what those Australian entrepreneurs have created. So it, it's truly going both ways. And Australia is, is very much on the map globally in, in terms of ag tech. Going back a, a couple of steps and picking up on something you said earlier, you came out here as a grad student and you mentioned that really young producers that you're working with, are you seeing a lot of promising talent coming out of Aussie universities or off farm? Yeah, I mean, talent is coming from all different places. We're actually working on an episode on our podcast talking about kind of barriers of breaking into ag tech and, and where does talent come from and what does it even look and feel like to work in a startup. And so, yeah, very much so we're seeing machine learning engineers and artificial intelligence experts and mechatronic engineers working in these startups and, and coming out of universities. But we're also seeing, you know, electricians and welding backgrounds or that have worked in oil and gas that want to be working in agriculture because they see the potential or the the climate impact or a range of reasons. And that's really exciting is, is all these people from different backgrounds. No, it's, it's not without its challenges of like we were talking about before, you know, these people maybe didn't grow up on a farm and don't know all the intimacies of the agriculture industry, but that can be a good thing too, because they're bringing, you know, new perspectives and new talent into this space via the ag tech world. And in many cases through these startups. Sarah, you've got such a a broad experience of ag tech in Australia, but also internationally. I wondered, is there anything, any one thing that you would change about Australian agriculture to make it maybe more receptive to ag tech? <laughs> I think it comes over time. You know, the, there's no magical wand that we can really wave. I would say one of the big things we're really passionate about is making sure that people understand that ag tech is a separate but highly related uh, opportunity to growing agricultural production. So when we think about, you know, the NFF's goal of, of 2030 and 100 billion, you know, that's a fantastic goal and, and I'm fully in support of it. But in addition to and separate to that, we can grow the ag tech industry. So 
to the value of our products and services to many billions, tens of billions or hundreds of billions as well. And that helps Aussie farmers, but is also a separate opportunity to export our knowledge in the form of products and services globally. And so maybe that would be my wish is that people continue to appreciate that ag tech is is this separate but highly complementary opportunity. And that's, I think, a big potential for Australia's future. You mentioned your podcast and obviously Matt and myself are keen podcasters. Can you tell us a little bit more about your podcast and um, who you have on the show and what kind of things you cover? So the podcast is called Ag Tech So What? And to go back to your point from before, Annie, like I really started it because two reasons. One, I love podcasts and didn't hear that there were, see that there were good enough uh, podcasts telling stories of innovators in agriculture and and the ones that were there, you know, weren't speaking with as many farmers. Uh, And so I really wanted to do that and see if we could, we could build a bit of a voice and brand there. And the second was because I was meeting all these amazing farmers and and innovators and didn't always have a good reason to talk to them or follow up with them. And I'm, I'm naturally an introvert and, and just having that excuse of being able to say, Hey, you know, I really enjoyed this chat or I really, enjoyed your you know talk or you're speaking on the panel would you be willing to come on our podcast and, and tell a bit more of that story just felt like a way easier ask and so those were kind of the two original reasons and we've grown that you know to have farmers and investors and and corporate innovators and uh, big multinational companies on the podcast uh, every other week um, you know we get 6,000 or so listens a month at, at this point and, and that's rapidly growing and I just couldn't enjoy it more the, the opportunity to chat with people all over the world about innovation and agriculture and and hear the feedback from listeners on social media and and via email uh, is just awesome. And do you have a favorite episode, Sarah, or a favorite guest that you've had on? <laughs> you, you guys will learn that this is like the podcasting no-no question because you can't tell can't tell anyone which of your kids are your favorite, right? <laughs> um, but I will I will say we've recently done a series on regenerative agriculture, and oh wow, is that a fascinating topic? People are so interested in it and so passionate about it on both sides. You know, it is the thing that will save the planet, and also it is you know this horrible term that is evangelical and causing people to totally miss the real issues in climate and agriculture and and everything in between. So it's been fascinating to talk to farmers and investors and experts on regenerative agriculture and just kind of understand what's happening in that space and why it's so polarizing. So yeah, that's definitely been a highlight. I'm glad you said that one because that's actually my favorite episode of your podcast is when you speak to Sam about regen ag. I think that was was a great one. So any of our listeners, look out for that one. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for that. (laughs) So obviously Australian agriculture is really diverse and there's so much opportunity ahead of us, but what's next for you, Sarah? What's next on the horizon? Yeah, really capitalizing on on that opportunity, Annie. Um, so we are really excited um, at at the Authentic Group, which is which is my company, about continuing to grow AgTech So What and and the podcast and getting those insights out through the podcast and our newsletter and the events we run. But also now that we have Tenacious Ventures, our our venture capital firm, we're investing in in some of these leading companies, and it's been so rewarding to bring that to life and to be able to back them and see them you know, grow and and hit my milestones and and succeed. And so, you know, we'll be investing in more companies, kind of three or four every year, and uh, just couldn't be more excited for making those investments and seeing those companies succeed and and deliver value to to agriculture here and and overseas. And really, all of that for us is about helping ag transition to a carbon neutral and climate change resilient future. And so that's what we'll be working on in the next few years. Yeah, really exciting, really exciting time for 
Australian ag. I mean, you had me at lamb sausage rolls and a really exciting time for you as well and and the role that you're playing in helping our industry grow and develop. Matt and I have had a great time chatting to you today, but just one last question before we wrap up that we ask all of our guests. When you're out on farm, which, you know, hopefully you've been able to do a fair bit of during COVID, but when you're out on farm, what brand of work boots do you wear? <laughs> oh my God, the, the curly one for last. It's so funny actually, like <laughs> navigating the Australian work boots situation because obviously people are like, you have to get RMs. Uh, and then they're like, no, no, you can't get those. They're for city slickers. And then it's like, no, you need boots so you have credibility. And then it's like, no, you need flats so that you look professional and business oriented. And I've now just said, screw it. I've got brown boots that are super comfortable and I can put my orthotics in them so so that I've got well supported. Uh, and that's what I wear. <laughs> yeah, great. It is definitely definitely a hard one to navigate but um thank you so much Sarah for coming on today it's been great to chat thank you Annie and Matt for having me really appreciate it thanks for listening this podcast is produced by Rural Bank Rural Bank supports the agribusiness community by providing financial services knowledge and leadership for Australian farmers to grow if you'd like more information about the topics we've discussed today as well as links and other resources We've added those to the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm Annie Herbert. And I'm Matt Howe, and we'll chat to you next time.